Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us in worship today. <clears throat> today is what we call a Rock Sunday. We do not have a series theme. We will be launching that next week. So this morning we will focus on our purpose, our mission statement, knowing Jesus, making Jesus known. Today, we are looking at the text that tells of Isaiah's calling. And actually, we are under the influence of that text every Sunday, almost every time that we gather here. So if you ever wonder where we get this order of service, like most Protestant churches, our worship service is actually patterned after this text. It's why we began our worship with a time of awareness of who God is and lift up our praises to join in the holy, holy, holy along with God's other creatures. And it's why that we pause after that to see ourselves and confess our sins and reclaim once again that gift, that precious gift of cleansing. It's why we then come to this portion of the service in which we seek to hear the word of God and then to have a private time of response, to have our chance to say, as Isaiah did, here I am, God, send me. Now, the text unfolds for us three essential responses that a child of God must take to live a faithful life. I invite you now this morning to use your imagination and to imagine this text as a great painting with three panels. That first and central panel is just enormous. It shows a throne high and lifted up and towering from that throne, great fire, bonding light, and the swirling of stars and a great cloud of mystery. And all around it are wings and voices crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Beneath this central panel, we can write the words, we cannot live without reverence. We really should be astonished at the goodness of God, just stunned that he calls us by name. Our mouths should just hang wide open, bewildered at the very thought of it. And we should be awestruck that right now, at this very moment, we are standing on holy ground. Whatever captures and controls the awe of your heart and your mind will shape and control your desires, your choices, your decisions, and your actions. Only when we are captured by an overwhelming sense of awe and reverence can we really worship God in spirit and in truth. We cannot stand until we stand in awe. So my wish for you this morning is that the awe of God capture you more than the awe of any other thing in your life. Now we turn to the second panel, which shows us a human figure who having stood in the light of God now sees himself and is just horrified at the sin of his own life 
and the sin of all humanity. He tells the truth about his sin. He would die of what he sees in himself and the human race if he did not tell it and if he did not have come flying to him from the altar a living coal to touch his mouth and give him the grace of his cleansing. If we face the light, we are indeed healed by it. Beneath this panel, we write the words, we cannot live without penitence. We have nothing to say until we have made our confession and received the great mystery of God's cleansing grace. God's amazing grace. You know, even the disciples needed the grace of God. The disciples had known Jesus for three years. They had spent 1,000 nights with him. They knew his walk, his accent, his sense of humor. They'd heard him snore. They, was, they witnessed miracles that we know about and countless others that we don't. Bread multiplied, lepers cleaned. They saw him turn water into wine and a box lunch into a buffet. They unwrapped burial clothes from a was-dead Lazarus, and they watched mud fall from the eyes of a once-blind man. For three years, this hand-picked group of recruits enjoyed a front row, center seat to heaven's greatest display. And how did they respond? How do we respond? All of you will stumble, Jesus says. Fall away, turn away, run away. Our promises will melt like snow on a hot day. But Jesus said to his disciples and to us, your fall will indeed be great, but my grace will be greater. Stumble and I will catch you, scatter and I will gather you. Turn from me and I will run toward you. You will always find me reaching out to you, my dear children. Grace chose you, grace sought you, grace drew you, grace forgave you, grace reconciles you, grace transforms you, grace empowers you, and grace will deliver you home. It really is grace upon grace upon grace. And if the best thing that you have and have been given you didn't earn, but is yours by grace, then the result should be a humble, grateful, grace-filled life. Today, our emphasis is going to be on that third panel. And what does the third panel show? It shows us the world, the world as it is, in all of its tragic need, the world flooded, sinking beneath rising waters of a creation in chaos. A world full of people who have no sense of the holy and who live with no sense of hope. A world full of people who do not know our God. From out of this picture of the world, the very words from God come ringing. Who will go? 
And whom can I send? And then there's a silence, and then there's a still, small, but very human voice that says, here I am, send me. Underneath this panel, we can write the words, we cannot live without service. If we have not said and done our love in the world, then we have not made our final answer to God. These are the three answers that every life should make. Reverence, penitence, and service. Now, you may notice that these three responses correspond with the three great realities that all of us face. The reality of God, the reality of ourselves, and the reality of the world. And what I want to point out to you is that none of these responses make any sense apart from the other two. To live without reverent worship of God is to make our penitence and service ultimately just empty. To live without penitence is to turn our worship and our service into arrogance. To live without service of obedience in the world would be to turn our worship and repentance into self-centered narcissism. It's kind of a good diagnostic question to ask ourselves. In which of these responses are you the weakest? However, if we neglect any of them, then we are off balance in all of them. Now, we Methodists in general, and in this church in particular, think of ourselves as strongest in service. Just look at our own wonderful Stepping Forward program, our food pantry, our Bible school, our, our tremendous outreach to this community. Plus, we have our strong worldwide mission program. We are a missionary people. We value the virtue of service in the world to our credit. But to undertake service apart from real reverence and real repentance will always make us wrong in our service. Isaiah could have just burst into that temple and said, I'll go, I'll go wherever you want me to go. But without first falling silent before the Holy One, all his service would have been, would have been shallow little busy programs that burned him out and served no one. Without also confessing the evil on his own life, all his service would have been arrogance, just being propagated onto others. Without confronting his own demons, he couldn't even truly hear what God was trying to say to him. So let me say that plainly. Our efforts at helping save the world can be sinful if we do not first fall on our knees before the Holy God in reverence and in repentance. But by the same token, our worship of God here is absurd and our acceptance of forgiveness is pointless if we do not get up and serve the world. It is all flowing to a purpose for the living of our days on this earth. If it does not result in the good deeds that take the gift of God's love out of this room into the world to make Jesus known, then I hate to tell you, but all we are doing is playing a parlor game here. As someone once said, 
To look is one thing. To see what you look at is another. To understand what you see is yet another. To learn from what you understand is something else. But to act, to act on what you understand, to act on what you have learned, in the end, is all that matters. Who will go, says God, whom shall I send? Now please notice that God is not giving an order. For someone on a throne, God really gives very few orders. What we hear is a question, God's question. Who will go? Whom can he send? Now, occasionally in scripture, God just seizes somebody, just nearly knocks them over, calls them by name, and hands them a to-do list. It really probably should happen more often. But most often, our experience is like Isaiah's experience. He doesn't call his name. He isn't tapped on the shoulder and given an assignment. All he knows is that God needs him. God's world is in trouble. Who will go? It's a strange thing, really, that many of us do such little serving for the mission of God in this world. It's kind of like we are waiting for God to call us by name and spell out what we should do. We need to confess that God does not need to give us a package of instructions on what we need to do. And I'm here to tell you, consider yourself called unless you hear otherwise. The world is on fire. That's enough. God has asked us to go. That should be enough. Now you and I have lots of questions. I have a tendency to just overthink everything. And we spend our whole lives asking questions. We have the why questions, and we have the how long questions, and we have the what if questions. Well, God has a question too, and God's question is more urgent than ours. Who will go? And when we think about our needs, we need to stop and think, what if you and I are a need of God? So don't wait for God to compel you to a mission in your life. You won't get compulsion. What you will get is freedom to step forward and say, I'm here. I dedicate my life for you to use me, Lord, in the mission of the world. Send me. That freedom to make a personal response is already in your hands and mine. And what would you do with it? Albert Schweitzer gave up a prominent career as a physician to serve as a doctor in the Congo. Would we do that? Francis of Assisi gave up his riches and his family to serve the poor. Would we dream of doing that? A couple of years ago, our area was hit by a series of tornadoes and a lot of people from our congregation gave up their time to help the victims. As far as I know, not one of them got a mystical vision instructing them to go. They just heard the question, who will go? And they said, I will. We will do all kinds of different things. Our answers take on different shapes because we each have different possibilities. But my friends, we cannot be the children of God and not pour ourselves out into doing something that comes from God's question, who will go? That means all our questions should be deferred to God's question. And when we think of our needs, we need to submit to the needs of God. So today, what are you doing to make Jesus known? How are you helping to make this world a better place? 
Every day, we should always be taking stock of our lives, our gifts, and asking, what can I do to help a world in need? Everyone has something in their hands they can use to serve God. In my life, I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. I have only the things that I have given to Jesus to hold in his hands left. Now, something in us may want to say at this point, but Anne, the problems are just so huge out there. The needs are so complicated, and we are so small and ineffective. What difference can we possibly make? What can we do that will really change the systems and the people? And I want to tell you, if you think you are too small and not powerful enough to make a difference, then you have never spent the night in a room with a mosquito. But it's right here that the text of Isaiah's calling gets very interesting. Most people just stop reading after this part. But if you read further in the text, you will learn that Isaiah's mission by God is guaranteed to fail. Guaranteed to fail. God tells him up front, people will not respond to you. What you tell them will only make them more deaf. What you show them will only make them more blind. Tell them and show them and fail to change them. Well, how long do I do that, Isaiah says. His initial excitement was probably cooling down just a little bit. And God answers till the cities lay waste and the people disappear and the land is utterly desolate. Well, it's not recorded as to whether God said, hey, you still want to go? Or if Isaiah looked at his watch and said, oh my, my, would you look at the time? It's been so nice chatting with you, God. What does this mean? This strange calling to come and fail. It means that the overwhelming size of the problem is not our issue at all. It means that the prospect of real discouragement and failure is absolutely irrelevant. The only relevant issue is God's need and the world's need and our obedience to go and serve. So this is not about signing up and charging off to change the world. It's not even about being successful. It's about being faithful. It's about being obedient. It's about telling the truth that we know, making Jesus known to all of those that we can. It's about doing the truth in love with all that we have and all that we are. Jesus said it's like bearing a cross. People who bear crosses can expect to die on them, and they are not noted for their great successes in the world. But God is known for making incredible transformation out of such awful failures. Our part is just to say, here I am, send me. That's enough. Now, something in me wishes I could make your life and my life a little more romantic than that or a little more triumphant, but it wouldn't be real. 
What is real is God's question, who will go? And what is real is our capacity to answer by a changed direction of living about giving our lives as a living sacrifice to answer God's call. Would we really go absolutely any place and do absolutely anything to serve God in this world? I hope so. Our commitment to serve should be absolutely unconditional and free, just as God's commitment to forgive any sin or any failure is absolutely unconditional and free. But Isaiah ended up like most of us. He wasn't sent to a far off away place all by himself. He was sent just out the door and down the road to his own town. Don't be afraid to accept that as your mission too. Will Campbell was a prominent minister in the 1960s who challenged many people to rethink their commitment to God and the world. And one day he got a phone call from a young minister in New Jersey. And the minister said, Will, I want to come down south where you are and serve beside you in your ministry because I want to do something important in my life for God. And Campbell said, where are you, son? He said, I'm standing in a phone booth in Newark. Is it one of those glass booths? Yes, it is. Well, what do you see on the other side? Are there lots of people or is it deserted? Oh, there's lots of people, said the minister. Well, son, that's your ministry. Now go to it. See the people. See them and hear God's question still ringing over your life and mine. Hear it and take some time this week in prayerful silence to hear more deeply what God is asking you and to make an answer with your life. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have called us by name. We bow before you now and ask your spirit to bring us to the place where we are truly able to pray from the heart. Lord, thy will be done in my life. Guide our steps, illuminate our path as we walk hand in hand together with you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our closing